So I want to start this morning by asking us a question, and it shouldn't be too difficult or taxing to start us off. How many of you remember the first time you ever watched your favourite film, or you read your favourite book, or perhaps even heard your favourite song? And I don't mean the ones that had to grow on you as you watched it and forced yourself to like it. I mean the ones that the first time you experienced it, you just knew that this is it. This is going to be my favourite. And you laughed and you maybe even cried and you were on the edge of your seat, just excited to know what was going to happen next. Do you remember what that was? I know that I do. Um, One of my all-time absolute favourite films is Grease. And it has been since the first time I saw it as a kid. I was completely swept away with the music and the dancing and the clothes and the super predictable romance. And you know, I'd watch it every day and I would watch it on repeat and I would watch it until I knew all of the words and all of the songs and all of the dances. So if you do not like watching films with people that quote the movie, do not watch this with me. I'm telling you now. Um, And you know, I remember when I upgraded from a videotape to a DVD and I had this whole, you know, world of special features and I could learn all this extra information about this film and I would sit and I would watch it and I would base my fancy dress on this film and some of my normal clothes too. Um, And it's, you know, it's my go-to film when I don't know what to watch and I want something that's familiar and something that cheers me up. I watch Grease and I've invested a lot of time um, and energy into my love of Greece and on my parents' part, money, which I'm very thankful for. And you know, I'm not here to talk to you about Greece all morning as much as I would love to, but I want you to think about what that favourite thing was the first time you experienced it and it, you got excited and you loved it and it moved you and it stirred you and just put a pin in that and hold on to that as I share with us and we'll come back to that a little bit later on. We're continuing through our journey of stories that Jesus told through his parables. And this morning we're going to be looking at one very, very short one. It's only one verse long, but there's so much to unpack. So come with me to Matthew 13, verse 44. I've got it. Yep, there we go. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So Jesus was talking to his disciples at this time about the kingdom of heaven. This one verse is sandwiched in between quite a few other verses and parables about the kingdom of heaven. And our first question is, what even is the kingdom of heaven? It's often referred to as the kingdom of God as well as the kingdom of heaven. So if I slip between the two, please don't be confused. It's the same thing. And, you know, in Matthew, he uses the term kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven 36 times, and the kingdom is referred to 55. And that's a lot, and that's not even the other three Gospels or the rest of the Bible. So there is so much that we could dig into to find out about the kingdom of God, but unfortunately, we don't have time for that this morning. So let's just have a little quick glimpse and then see what this parable in particular wants to tell us. Jesus tells us about the kingdom of heaven very early on in his journey, not long after he is baptized and starts his ministry. In um, Mark, in chapter 1, it's verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. And then in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus tells us that the kingdom is near and to seek it first above everything else. But what is it we're supposed to be seeking after? What is it that has come near? You see, the kingdom of God is not a specific area or place or realm. It's not one physical place that we can drive to in our car or catch a train to. We don't need a passport to get over the border. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign as king of the universe and creator of everything. The kingdom of heaven has come near through Jesus when he came to earth. The kingdom of heaven has come near through the Holy Spirit who has come to bring God's presence. It is God's saving grace that forgives us and brings us into relationship with him despite all of the wrong things that we've done. The kingdom of heaven comes to defeat evil and death and bring hope and truth in its place. It's God's reign and presence in the hearts and lives of his people who he wants to be in relationship with. So let's dig a little deeper. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Very early on, it's described as treasure. And you know, we're not sure why the man was in the fields. We're not sure what the treasure was that he finds. We have a few ideas of what it could have been. Very often it could have been that he was hired labour working for a farmer perhaps on his fields when he came across it and he dug it up. It could have been a jar full of lots of coins or jewels perhaps, we're just not sure. All we know is that he finds it. And you know it was very common in those ancient times to go and bury valuables and treasures in fields because they didn't have banks to keep them for them. And they would go, and that way, if there were invasions or battles, they knew that their valuables were safe, and they could return to them when it was good to get it. And then if they couldn't come for whatever reason, perhaps they died, their, their treasures were safe, and they were hidden in the fields. And it would technically then be the possessions of the, the man or the woman who owned the fields, even though they might never even know it's there. So we're not sure why he was there or why he finds it, but that's a potential situation of what might have been happening. But what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure? I've looked up the definition of treasure for us just to see if it'll help us out a bit. And these were the top three that came up. <coughs> treasure is a quantity of precious metals, gems, or other valuable objects. A very valuable object or a much loved or highly valued person. One thing is clear to us. Treasure is something of great worth and value. It is desirable and often it's expensive. It's rare and precious. The kingdom of heaven is valuable. It is precious and it is something to be highly loved and valued. But as well as that, treasure is something that is often found. He didn't go and buy the treasure. He didn't earn the treasure. He found it. It seems like he came across it by chance. He wasn't on a big search mission like we see in so many of our films and books to find it. There are so many examples, aren't there? In Treasure Island and Pirates of the Caribbean and Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider, the list goes on and on. We love to read about those exciting expeditions to find treasure, to find more. I was doing some reading into modern-day treasure hunting to see how much there was about it and how much this still happened, and I was actually very surprised to find out that it is a very common thing. And there was this article published in September, and it was called 
Buried treasure is real. This is how to find it and whether you have to give it back. And according to this article, in the last 20 years in the UK, there have been around 1.3 million fines. There was um, a man called David Blakey, above me here. Um, he is a granddad, and he was out with his treasure society, with his metal detector, seeing what they could find. They were in East Yorkshire, and he came across 2,000 Roman coins and they were worth £44,000, and he was able to take 22000 of that away, and the other half went to the guy who owned the fields. And in the same year, Derek McClellan, um, he found a Viking treasure hoard in Scotland, and he got £2 million for it. Can you imagine finding something with your metal detector and coming away £2 million richer? And if you're interested in taking up a new hobby, the... <laughs> <laughs> The, the article gave us, it gives some helpful tips and protocols to help you. It tells you which metal detectors to buy and the best GPS systems. Um, but it also tells us about some of the, the risks to be aware of. Did you know that if you find treasure and you don't report it, you can go to prison for up to three months and face an unlimited fine? There was actually one police officer who went to jail for 16 months because he lied about where he found his treasure. It's risky business, but it's still going on. And there's so many resources. I found this other list of all of the treasures in the world. And it told us whether they were real or whether they were legends or whether we're still not sure and we need to do some more investigating. It gave key dates of when things went missing and areas and things to help us find them. But you know, the Bible is an even clearer map or list to help us find treasure. It tells us all about it and exactly how to get it. And the really great thing is we don't need to go to great lengths. We don't need to go out walking for hours with our metal detectors and our GPS systems to find it. It's not difficult because God didn't want it to be. He wants us to find this treasure. And he has went to great lengths to be able to do that for us. But it is worth noting that there is something significant about searching for it. In this parable, the man wasn't out looking for the treasure, he came across it. And we can't earn the kingdom of heaven, we can't buy Jesus. But he does encourage us, as we read in Matthew, to seek the kingdom. And there are so many other references where he asks us to ask and to seek and to knock. Some of us will come across Jesus by what seems like chance. We weren't looking for him, but he reveals himself anyway. And others of us are searching so desperately for more. We want to know the answers to the big questions in life. We want to know our meaning and our purpose. And that's okay, because God chooses to reveal himself to us in different ways and in his timing. So if you are either of those people, if you're searching or you're really not interested, can I just encourage you that the treasure is there and God wants to give it to you, so keep pushing into him. And like these two guys, they came away um, significantly richer financially. Treasure is able to change our lives. And the kingdom of heaven changes lives. There seems to be something in us as a society that is fascinated with wanting to find something to completely transform our lives. Whether it's a quest for gold and jewels and riches or knowledge or people. It takes up so much of our folklore. But it's also in a lot of real areas of our lives as well. Just come with me with a minute. I don't know how many of you watch TV, but I feel like every other advert is for a bingo website. 
And do you know they're catchy and they get your attention and just ask one of my friends. I'm constantly singing the theme tunes, even though I've never even been on their websites. Because they draw us in with this possibility of what if. What if I win and what if I win big? It could completely change my life. The idea of coming out with more than we started with is so attractive and it's too good to resist. We might not win, but the what if is enough to keep us going. And you know, the kingdom of heaven is so much more. It can transform our lives in such a more real and better way than winning lottery or bingo or finding some treasure from the Roman Empire. It might not make us financially rich, but it can change our lives. The kingdom of heaven can bring light and life where we only see darkness. It can replace our desperation with hope. It means that we don't have to see death as the end, but we can live for eternity reunited with our Father in heaven. It might not change every situation and struggle that we're going through right now, but it can change our perspective. It can help us when we know and trust that we're not doing everything alone because God has a bigger picture and plan of how things are going to turn out. And it frees us to be able to experience joy in life even when all the odds feel against us. Which brings us really nicely to the next part of our verse. The man found the, jo- the, the treasure and then in his joy he goes and sells all he has. I don't know if you caught that word before, joy. In his joy, he went and sold everything. He had an immediate response to finding this treasure, and it was joy. And I'm sure for a lot of us, it would be the same. Because, you know, the gospel, it brings joy. And joy is more than happiness. Happiness happens. It is dependent on our circumstances, and it can come and go, and it can be fleeting. But joy is able to supersede our situation and go deeper than what's happening in our lives. It's really great that Joe shared those encouragements this morning of our two new um, family members who have become Christians. I don't know if you've ever been in the company of someone who has just become a Christian. Um, I have. When I was 14, some of my best friends became Christians, and it was incredible because they had grasped who God really is for the first time and therefore who they are and what he had done to be reunited with them. And it's fantastic. There was just this joy in them that they couldn't contain. It just oozed out of them. And they, they just would tell anyone who would listen. They didn't really seem to care what anybody else would say. They just wanted to share the Jesus that they had found. And the physical and practical situations don't change when we meet Jesus, when we find this treasure. We still have the same job and we still have the same financial problems and the same relationship issues going on, the same health conditions. But it changes. It's not the be-all and end-all anymore is our situation. There's more for us and there's a joy that is available to us in those times. When we meet Jesus, he gives us this excitement when we find him but it's also a joy that is often stolen from us joy is a very attractive part of the kingdom of heaven it was one of the things when i was at university that really attracted my friends to my faith i was on a course of 150 and i was studying biology and there were only two christians on our whole course so it was quite an interesting um, few years but actually when we were in the midst of our really busy exam periods and deadlines or when money was an issue and life was just getting hard. I was able to 
just make, like have more of that joy. I wasn't crushed by my situation, and it was something that challenged my friends. Um, it made them question their worldview. They wanted to know why I was able to be positive when all of my situation says that I shouldn't be. And you know, the enemy wants to take that away from us because if we have no joy in anything, why would anybody want to listen to what we have to say about Jesus? And I know that life is hard and it's not easy to have joy and to be happy. It's easier said than done, I know. We have the questions, don't we? How can we continue to have joy in the midst of pain and chronic illness when there's a death in our family and we need to grieve? When we've lost our jobs and don't know how we're going to pay next month's rent or we're climbing the career ladder, we're getting the job of our dreams, but we realise that it's taking so much of our time and energy that we have no time to connect with our families. How do we keep going when we're being bullied in school and all of our friends have turned their back on us? We're not expected to have all the answers and to be happy all of the time. We're allowed to experience and express our different emotions. It's healthy to do that. God has given us them. But I believe that we do have a choice in those times to come back to that joy, even when it's hard. My housemate put this picture up in our bathroom, and it says, Today I choose joy. When the initial joy and excitement of experiencing the kingdom of heaven has faded from that first time, it becomes a choice that we have to make every single day. Am I going to let my situation overwhelm me, or am I going to focus on Jesus today and trust him to help me through? Are we going to give our worries and burdens to him and take the joy that he has for us instead? Because the kingdom of heaven is treasure, but it's also a pleasure there for us. And it costs us, doesn't it? There's a measure involved with the kingdom. The man went and sold all that he had to buy the fields. He sold everything. He didn't sell just enough to get a little bit he sold everything. He was extravagant. And there's a word in the Greek translation, um, pantahosa, which when it's translated is kind of like saying all as much. And um, so if we put it in, it sounds something like, and sold all he had, everything, and bought the field. Or like saying he sold everything, everything. There's this extra emphasis on that all and that everything. It's not just um, another thing that we can buy and set on the side of our lives that makes it easier and nicer and prettier and more convenient. The kingdom of heaven is free, but it also costs us everything we have. It doesn't mean that we all need to go and set up eBay accounts and sell all of our things this afternoon, but there is a challenge for us. If Jesus asked us to do that, would we? It costs us everything because we have to die to ourselves. We have to stop putting ourselves first and we put Jesus first instead. And that's not always easy. It means not being afraid of what other people are going to say about us, about our reputations. It means we're willing to follow Jesus and stand up for him and share him despite what other people are saying. But it is so important to be clear that we don't need to buy it. We can't buy it. We can't buy a relationship with God. It can't be earned. It is a gift. And it means that we get it even if we don't deserve it. And it costs God to give it to us. A present always costs the person buying it. 
God sent his one and only son to become human and die on the cross in our place so that we could be reunited with him. It cost God everything to give us this gift, but it can also cost us everything to receive it. When we receive a gift, we take it home and we look for where we're going to put it and we make room for it, don't we? We want it to be somewhere nice where we're going to remember it. Just like when we receive a gift from a friend, when we receive a gift of the kingdom from God, we have to make room in our lives for it. The man didn't buy the treasure and he didn't steal the treasure and run away with it either. He bought the field that the treasure was in. The kingdom of heaven is there for us, and so is the king who wants to give it. But is there room in our lives for it? Do we really understand the value of what we're being given? So often we can let our relationship with God become that addition, that thing on the side of our lives, instead of letting it be the center. And the good news of Jesus, it's all or nothing in my opinion. I became a Christian because I was really convinced when I heard the gospel that it either was going to take all of my life and I would give myself to it or I would have to leave it and walk away. I didn't, like, I felt that there wasn't an in-between. We can't sit on the fence with it. There is a decision that has to be made and it's an all-or-nothing one. The man came across the treasure and he made a decision. He could either forfeit the treasure and carry on with his life as normal or he could forfeit his life and sell all that he had to have that treasure. He recognized the value of what he had found and he chose to give up his life for it. I don't think we need much of a cultural background to help us understand this a bit more. I think that selling all we have for something is a pretty radical move. But Jesus was talking to his disciples, and maybe they had an even better idea of what he was saying than we do. They had already experienced a glimpse of what it is to give their lives to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus starts to call his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They had left their jobs, which means they left their income and their livelihoods and they left their families to be with Jesus. They spent all of their time with him, to learn from him and to become more like him. They spent three years with him before he was crucified, and then they continued to dedicate their lives to him after that. They lived out what he had taught them, and they told people about him until they themselves died, and many of them died because of sharing that faith in Jesus. The disciples understood what it was to give their all for Jesus because he gave their all for them. And Jesus gave his all for us as well. So my question this morning for us is, what is the treasure in our hearts? If we're not sure, there's a few questions that we can ask. What do we give all of our thoughts and attention to? Where are we spending our time and money? 
It's easy to see what we really value when we look at our diaries and our bank statements. And should we be giving those things as much of us as we do? Have we let them take the place of Jesus in our hearts and lives? What have we put at the centre? When we first encounter Jesus, he fills us with his spirit. He fills us with peace and joy and excitement. And it seems like we can't help but sing worship to him, even when we're cleaning the bathroom, even when we're stuck in traffic on the way to work, even when we're up in the middle of the night exhausted because our children are sick and crying and they need us. We're so excited to get into our Bibles that we'll get up early and sacrifice our sleep. We might even have extra books and commentaries going to get as much out of it as we can, just like when I watched all the special features on my Grease DVD. (laughs) It's like things aren't as important anymore as long as we get to spend time with Jesus. And then life comes and it hits us and it gets hard and it gets busy and it gets stressful and it feels so full that we can't even think anymore. And in those times, it's not easy to keep Jesus at the centre. We can feel like we're growing distant from him and the thought of singing worship to him is the last thing on our minds. We can't remember the last time we picked up a Bible or said a prayer. In those times, many of us will put the treasure of Jesus back in the chest and we'll bury it again and we'll cover it with dirt and we'll forget about it for a while because we just don't have space for it. We forget about the value of it, of how worthy Jesus is, how extravagant and special it is to be able to have the kingdom of heaven in our lives, and we lose sight of the joy that it can bring to help us through. But I'm so happy to be able to say this morning that we can rediscover that treasure again, just like our favourite book that we haven't read since Christmas 10 years ago, or the film that we haven't watched in what feels like forever, or the songs that we'd all but forgotten about. We can go back and experience them again and again and again. And we can remember how much we loved it that first time and it can stir us again. It can make us happy again. I love coming back and watching Greece again. It always makes me smile. But it's not a lasting happiness that our our favourite films can bring us. They don't give us this joy that can go deeper than our circumstance. They can't give us a joy that can shift the atmosphere in our hearts. That's a joy that only comes from Jesus. Only God can give that to us. And we need to intentionally make that decision every day to pick up the treasure of Jesus, to see the importance of him, to put him first, to find joy in him, and to be willing to pay the costs to have him each day. And it doesn't need to be difficult. It doesn't need to be these massive big steps that we have to take in our lives. They can be really small. I don't really think it matters as long as we're taking steps. It can be something like reading our Bible in the morning instead of watching the TV or the news. It can be praying in our car or on the train or on our bikes on the way to work instead of listening to our music or the radio. It can be as simple as going to your friend's in church or in life group and saying this is hard but I want to put Jesus at the centre again will you pray with me we have a great opportunity as a community as a family to help each other in this we don't have to do it alone we can help each other put in those steps and walk with each other to see Jesus be the centre again 
And I think there is something in this for us as individuals to, to find Jesus and the joy that he brings again, to rely on him for our strength when we need it, but also for us as a church to stand together in this, to be transformed by the gospel and the joy, for it to be a defining characteristic for us as a church that it attracts people to Jesus There's an infection, I think, waiting for all of us to be, this is my science coming out, (laughs) to be infected with the joy of the Lord again and to see his kingdom come, to experience it like we did that first time for ourselves. And so I'm going to invite the bands back up and Joe, if you can come and join me. And we're going to have time to pray and to listen to God and to see what he wants to do this morning.